It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Following program are not necessarily the views of this station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different, please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests. Success is equated with excess. The ambition for Excess wrecks us as the top of the mind becomes a bottom line where success is equated with excess. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management, bringing life back into balance with a more thoughtful approach to wealth management. Now, from Capstone Wealth Management, here's Chris Klein on the big 1070, 1070 AM and 100.9 FM. Welcome in. I am Mike Pilch, joined as always by the man whose name is on the show, Chris Klein, taking you through the week that was of the world of finance, giving the best advice there is for investors. Number of ways you can get in contact with Chris, you can call him up via phone at 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. You can email him info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. And check him out on Twitter, where he gives you, you know, an idea of things as they happen. And that's at Care For My Wealth. That is at Care For My Wealth. Capstone Wealth Management, a fee-only financial advisory service located in Prairie du Sac. They'll build your portfolio, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. Chris, welcome into your own program again. Hey, Mike. Good to hear from you, as always. I don't believe you, but I'll take it. I take any win I can get. Amen. I'm with you. I'm with you, especially in crazy market environments. You know, we'll take the wins when they come. Absolutely. And just the crazy life environments we'll take when they come. So some bearishness in the market still. We're going to get into that and some diversity. Um, well, why it's kind of a fallacy, the diversity rebate. Um, what am I trying to say here? The uh, Just the debate that constantly goes on about traditional modern portfolio theory style of, of diversification. And, and as I unpack that and, and make sense of it, I, I think what will happen is you'll step back and go, you know, I don't know that I ever looked at it that way, but that makes so much more sense. Okay, well. To, to not run down this particular path or this road blindly. 
<clears throat> so, um, so yeah, just talking a little bit about some of the traditional ways in which most people attempt to diversify their portfolios. And, and more often than not, Mike, what ends up happening, it, it, people don't become truly diversified in the terms of the way that you hope to implement a diversification strategy. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the reason people typically do that is to not lose money when markets implode, right? True, yeah. So do you want to start there? Do the bearishness part first. Well, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the, the drumbeat of bearishness. You know, yeah. it, it, it's still out there. Um, I know it makes people crazy when they turn on the news and, you know, the first person or people that they parade across the, the TV screen are, are all the experts. You know, the, the guys that run 50 to $100 billion uh, hedge fund portfolios or, or, you know, whoever it might be. Don't and, those um, guys, despite the fact they're, they're big hedge fund guys and they're experts and they do know the business, don't they have an agenda to sell, though? That's a good question. Um, they do. And I think anyone running money to one degree or another, you know, has an agenda. I, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes hedge funds are supposed to be fairly neutral in the way that they look at the market. You know, are, are we net bearish? Are we net bullish? Um, with that said, there are tons and tons of funds out there that are what we call long-only funds, meaning they're only going to own stuff. And if they're only going to own stuff, well, then by nature, they need to be bullish. <laughs> right. There are funds that are, are net bearish. They're short funds. In other words, they're only going to sell stuff that they don't own and then attempt to buy it back at a later date at a better price, you know, at a cheaper price. And then they make that profit on that what's called a short sale. So by definition, they would be bearish in nature. And then, you know, there are neutral funds that uh, attempt to kind of straddle the center and, um, you know, and, and look for anomalies or opportunities. You know, when, when we manage money for clients, Mike, we, literally, we don't care what the market is saying. We just want to interpret what it's saying and then adjust accordingly. You know, we're not, we don't have an axe to grind in terms of being bullish or bearish. We, we simply want to read what the system is saying and, and, and then make an adjustment based on how that, that process is, is moving forward. And, and the things that always make us nervous, Mike, is when everybody's bullish, of course. <laughs> when everybody's bullish, you know, I mean, you turn on the TV and it's Yahoo party time, you know, everybody's just rip-roaring for the next deal. You know, I mean, that's awesome. That's great. That has a tendency to propel markets for a little bit. But that makes us really, really, really nervous because at some juncture, it, it creates an environment where, um, I guess the easy way to look at it is that at, at some point when everyone's bullish, no one's left to get in. Yep. And if no one's left to get in, then, you know, then obviously there's potentially one direction that that goes. You know, if you're in this business long enough, and I've been doing this close to 25 years now, and, um, wow, time warp, where did that time go? (laughs) If you do this long enough, one of the things that you start to recognize is that institutional investors are not on your side, Mike. They don't care. To, at the end of the day, yeah. the retail investor simply doesn't matter, right? The retail investor matters to the degree that they exist to unload their stuff on. You know, I hate to say it that way, but at the institutional level, that's exactly how it works. In other words, you've got a great big fund group that owns pick us into, the FANGs, perfect mm-hmm. example. They own the Facebooks, Amazons, and all these, this stuff. Well, 
if they start to own a pile of it, I mean, huge percentages of the daily float, the, the amount of, of trading that goes on in these stocks on a day-by-day basis, at some point, they've got to find somebody to sell their stuff to. Sure. Well, the, easy, the easiest way to sell stuff is when people get excited about it. Yep. So, you know, you, you have a tendency to see some of these guys and, and gals, you know, that get on TV and they start to you know, drum up excitement about a market or a sector or a group or whatever it might be. And, and at the same time, they might be unloading their shares into that strength. And so, you know, those are the kinds of things that we want to look at. We want to find where's the strength happening and is that strength happening because of fundamental growth? Are, are they getting the earnings growth that you'd right. expect to support that kind of a price growth? And so when everybody's super excited, we, you know, our ears always perk up because we start to ask ourselves, are they using this excitement to unwind their shares? And as they slowly unwind their shares and then there becomes no one left to buy, right? That's when you really get a, a kerbang, right? A kerbang. We're not seeing, <laughs> yeah, technical term there. We're not seeing that, right? We, we're just not seeing that kind of an environment. Instead, what we're seeing are more than a few extremely bright men and women mm-hmm. talk about the risk of the current market, about the the unsustainability of the current economic growth, mm-hmm. about the the degree of how close we are to the top. What makes me crazy about this, Mike, it's kind of like weather forecasting. Yeah. You, you'll get meteorologists on TV talking about the next, you know, give me uh, two years or, or two, two months even. They don't even know what's going to happen in the next two hours, for crying out loud. Right. Well, what's the rule of thumb with weather? I think it's, if you predict, it's really impossible to predict anything outside of 48 hours, technically, because it's too up and down. But they do it because brings in ratings and people want to hear what their, their forecast is going to be. Everybody wants it, you know, and a great example of that right now, I think, is, you know, the the unfortunate situation of Hurricane Florence. I mean... You know, just a few days ago, it was a Cat 4, and it was going to be like, you know, like Hurricane Andrew. It was mm-hmm. just going to completely lay waste to the entire environment. And I think it's, you know, it's it's down to a, a, a 2 or whatever. But not to take that away. I mean, I lived in Florida for 11 years. I understand what hurricanes can do. And, you know, I understand that a 1 or a 2 can even be dramatically devastating. devastating. Oh, yeah. You know, when it brings in as much rain and water and all that sort of stuff. But... My my point of all this is just the, the 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 fact that forecasting is incredibly fallible, and it's super hard to do. And anyone that gets it right, Mike, at the end of the day, they're lucky. Well, okay. yeah, I was gonna say if they really knew how to forecast this stuff, they'd all be billionaires, and they'd be not on TV because they'd be enjoying whatever life they want. They would have no else. agenda to press. <laughs> they'd be living the good life on a beach in Hawaii or something, or they would own Fiji. And and they may already do that, but they you know they're 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 not to the point where they need to be yet, I guess. But at any rate, you know we're just we're seeing enough stuff talking about hey the top is here in the next two to three years. I, you know I hear these kinds of reports and it 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 does it drives me a little bit nuts because I know there's no ability to forecast that far out. You just can't do it. There's no ability to forecast a year out for crying out loud. The best you can do is take the current set of data as it's written. Get into the, the specifics of the kinds of earnings growth that are anticipated and whether or not those numbers are materializing, and then invest accordingly. And then on top of all of it, 
make sure you've got some computing systems that can mm-hmm. help you identify the momentum movements that go on in markets. And so on the positive end, what we're seeing right now is enough bearish drumbeat going on that gives us some some functional hope, um, you know, that, that not everybody is so bullish and so in. The last newsletter that we did, I don't know if, if, if you had a chance to take a peek at it, but last week we sent out a newsletter and we started it with the, the drumbeat that has gone on going all the way back to 2012 from icons of the financial business, talking about the, the, the economic implosions that were coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, things that people were saying, like, for example, there's a guy by the name of Robert Wiedemer, I think you pronounce his name. He's a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, best-selling author kind of guy. And on, on March 15, 2012, he came out and said, we're going to have 50% unemployment, a 90% stock market crash, and 100% annual inflation as soon as 2013. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm sure there were lots and lots of people that were scared to death by that prognostication yep. and, cho- and chose to buy his subscription service. Yeah, so, by the way, I know. <laughs> whenever this stuff happens, you've got to look at, well, what are they selling? They're, they're creating fear, and they're causing people to make adjustments. Why? What do they have to sell? Uh-huh. Well, I find it interesting that this exact same guy on March 13, 2013, came out and said, 50% unemployment, 90% stock market crash, 100% inflation as soon as 2014. <laughs> and then uh-huh. he did it again in January 2015. Well, sooner or later, he's going to be right. Well, And then it could be like, I told you I was right. See, I wrote about this two years ago, even though he wrote about it for 10 years. Well, and that's exactly right. He's been saying the exact same thing. I mean, literally, Mike, no difference. It's the exact same prognostication of 50% unemployment, 90% stock market crash, 100% annual inflation. And his most recent one was out January of this year, that we're going to get this next year. I mean, he's selling a service that, People know that he knows that people will buy when they're scared. I mean, that's the bottom line. Right. So he's <laughs> taking advantage of people, essentially. Well, in my opinion, I think, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. He, who, he's not giving anyone any benefit of any service by telling them this stuff. And, and, oh, by the way, Mike, I don't see a set of circumstances that could occur in the United States of America to have 50% unemployment, a 90% stock market crash, yeah. or 100% annual inflation. Yeah, true. Now, now, countries like Venezuela that are clearly going through serious economic melee right now, yeah, that we all knew that that was a possibility. Now, a possibility to the degree of a million percent inflation like what they've been experiencing, oh, gee, I didn't know that they would hit at that level, but... You know, we go back and we look month in and month out, year in and year out, and it happens to be the same group of people, guys like Mark Faber and Harry Dent and, and Henry Blodgett and, you know, Paul Farrell. And, you know, all these guys are saying the same thing. I mean, after the election, it was terrible. It, it, Paul, uh, uh, Paul Krugman, a very renowned economist, a very, very bright guy, came out and said, literally, three days after the election, very probably looking at a global recession with no end in sight. Uh, okay, have you looked at the GDP numbers recently? Have you, have you retracted that comment saying, you know, mm-hmm. I missed that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a bad shot. I, I, uh, I shouldn't have said that. No, that never happens. Like you said, they keep saying the same things, and eventually 
you know, they become right when they constantly talk about the right. You know, the, keep, the negativity. Keep right? throwing stuff at the wall. Something's going to stick. We got to take a break. You know, I went. Uh, I played soccer back when I was like 12, 13 years old with a kid named Mark Faber. If I find out this is the same guy, I'm really going to be upset at him. I tell you what, I'm telling you. Stupid Mark Faber. All right. Every time. We'll get into uh, more of the bearishness of the market on the other side. 866-596-9886, the number to get in contact with Chris Clyde. That's 866-596-9886. Also, you can email him, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management on the Big 1070, 1070 AM and 100.9 FM. You know, I haven't played one of those get-backs in a long time, so why not? There you go. This is Buddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. 866-596-9886 is the phone number to get in touch with them. That's 866-596-9886. You could also email them info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. Talking about some of the bearishness in the market. But again, Chris, as you said, this isn't a bad thing necessarily. No, it's a good thing. I, the, the more bearishness that we continually compile and see and read about and hear about is is typically a good thing. You know, the mantra has always been that Wall Street climbs a wall of worry, mm-hmm. and and it's been doing that. Uh, you know, I, I'll read a couple of the, the the statements that have been made within the last year. Okay, uh, Ron Paul came out and said about this time last year, a fifty percent stock market plunge conceivable as soon as October. Eh. Okay, that didn't happen. Uh, a guy by the name of Ted Bauman, about the same time, said a 70% stock market crash to strike September 1. Hmm. I'd, be in, I'd be interested to know how you could... I mean, kudos to him for actually going out of his way to give a specific number on a specific date. I think that's dumb, but <laughs> at, least, at least he put his name out there as opposed to saying right. something like Faber, who says a major stock market correction is coming. Well, guess what? You know what? That's probably true, but... That doesn't. Who does that help? Who does it help to say to someone in the midst of a good market where it is still apparently, according to all the safety algorithms that are are used today, that and we use a number of them, that the market's still technically safe? Who does it help to say a major stock market correction is coming? Well, it's got to help themselves in some way. <laughs> That's probably about it. Some of their stuff, right, right. So, you know, and then, you know, if you look at just as as late at, or as early as, I should say, July of this year, Morgan Stanley came out and said, we think the selling's just begun. Well, I don't know, Mike. I mean, again, what we attempt to do is look at the economic data, right? And the economic data is telling us a few things. For example, the economy is dependent on moving stuff. If you think about it, if you buy something, oh, right. well, then that something has to be replaced. Sure, well, how are you going to sure. get it? How are you going to get it to the place you bought it from? Somebody's right. got to move it. And typically, the way that happens are planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Commercial trucks in the United States have hauled almost eight percent more tonnage through July of this year than the same time in 2017, and at the same time, net tonnage is up another fifteen percent since since just November of 16. Hmm. So, Those are good things. 
what that tells us is that the economy is expanding not only at an impressive rate but at a sustainable rate. You know, now if we saw tonnage up 422 percent, I'd be like, that's a little odd. That's way out of sure. What's going on? Capital goods orders. You know, this is something that is a really important economic metric to just recognize is happening. And capital goods orders are up 16 percent over the past two years. And 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 so. You know, what that tells us, again, is that we have an environment where, to many, it appears the stock market has been doing nothing but going up, which is not true, of course. We've had fits and stops and starts, and we've had many corrections that have taken place. We've had it in 2015. We had it in 2016. We certainly had it at the beginning of this year. We had little bits and pieces from time to time in 17, although not a lot. So... Yeah, it's going up and down, but it's doing it in an upward fashion. And and so the growth rate that we're identifying in this equity market certainly appears to be sustainable based on the way that the economy is growing. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a catalyst to cause markets to shift, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Some type of catalyst has to occur to cause it to say, I'm done going up now. <laughs> now, that that could be a number of things. It could be a shock. You know, what kind of shock could occur that would make the market say, all right, I'm done. I don't want to go up anymore. What would cause people to stop investing and stop buying? You know, it, it likely at this point would have to be, you know, some type of a geopolitical shock of one type or another. And, and now I you mean, yeah, that... geopolitical. So you mean some major just world event, like Maybe. all encompassing world event. Maybe, yeah. And, and I don't know what that would be. You know, and people always talk about the thing, oh, I'm scared of, you know, see, the country. I, see, now you're freaking me out. You're saying to my, you're making me say to myself, oh, we're due for one now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, who knows, I guess is the, the right answer. But, I, you know, I say to people all the time, the market is, is a funny thing. I mean, it's a confluence you know? of people's fear and greed. I mean, at the end of the yeah. day, that's, that's really what it is, and it's on display for everyone to see every day. But right? as Gordon Gecko told us, greed at its core is good. <laughs> well, I guess depending upon what you're greeting for, yes. um, maybe. Uh, I tell people all the time, the things that causes the market to really, really, really give itself conniptions are the unknown unknowns. And I know that that sounds almost odd to say, if not weird, but... The unknown unknowns, the unpredictable things that occur in life are what causes markets to implode. Sure. That's what causes you know, life to implode, too, when it just back can't, backslaps you across the face on a Wednesday afternoon or something. It's a, it creates a shock, and humans have a tendency to um, act in a manner that is not often uh, controlled <laughs> when yeah. a shock occurs to one degree or another. And, you know, so the example I typically try to give is, you know, people bring up the, you know, the, at least when I sit down and have meetings with folks, one of the things that always gets brought up is the the feeling of destabilization as it occurs with various countries and, you know, the, the migration process, you know, of, of people who are attempting to just flee the, the negative impact of whatever thing is going on in their homeland. And seriously, most recently, we see that happening in Venezuela. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen that out of countries like Croatia. I mean, it's it's a historical thing that has gone on again and again and again and again, right? And and so my comment to that, similar to someone saying like, well, Iran hates Israel and Israel hates Iran. Well, we know that, right? What we don't know is what kind of response may or may not occur from somewhere. Sure. And so everybody wants to talk about the next bear market, and they talk about the same things that caused the last bear market. That's not how it works. You know, so I go on the news feeds, and I find various professionals talking about a debt crisis. Look, I get that there are debt problems that exist in the world today. We did a series on this program Mm -hmm. of about six weeks talking about the potential implosion of non-financial corporate debt. And that it is potentially a very serious problem unless, and this is a huge unless with lots of asterisks next to it, they can grow out of it. Because guess what? You can grow out of your debt problem. Perfect example, you take an individual who makes $50,000 a year, and they go take on $100,000 in debt. That's twice their annual income rate, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. What happens if they are able to grow their earnings from $50,000 to $150,000? Well, now all of a sudden, that debt load isn't quite the same on a percentage basis, is it? Uh, No. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. That's the same thing that can happen in the corporate world, too. I mean, good grief. Look at where Apple Apple is today, comparative to where they were just five years ago. Look at Amazon today, compared to where they were just five years ago or just mm-hmm. two years ago. I mean, the growth rates that we're seeing from some of these companies are substantial. And so the non-financial corporate debt problem that exists today is real. I'm not going to deny it. I don't think anybody would deny it. If they did, well, then, you know, they're just not paying attention. Right. But to suggest that it's irreversible, to suggest that it is going to cause a calamity of epic proportions and then put a date on it, I don't know, Mike. I think that's irresponsible. It is. And, and, it is. You're, I mean, you're like it's like you're fear mongering or something. And so I'm, I don't ever want to do that. So the only thing that we want to talk about are what are the things that causes markets to really have conniptions? And the answer to that again are the unknown unknowns. Typically speaking, the shocks to the system don't last a long time. Mm-hmm. They typically work themselves out really, really, really quick. And clearly, you know, since we just came, you know, since we just had an anniversary to September 11th and it's on everyone's mind, that was probably one of the biggest consequential shocks Mm -hmm. to our economic system to the average person, right? If you drill down and you look at where we were on September the 10th when the market closed, 
and then how long it took to reopen the market, which was one week later, but then get back to a price level of where we were on September 10th is about 30 trading days. So you're talking a very, very, very small period of time in the grand scope of history to completely wash out that shock. People say, ah, yeah, but the market was terrible. Well, yeah, but we were already in a bear market. We started a bear market way, way before September 11th hit. And you had to recognize the elements that were in place to help you identify, hey, we're in a bear market. And so one of the quickest, easiest ways to identify whether or not that's happening is that momentum starts to die. (laughs) We talked a little bit about this last week where you see the leadership groups starting to roll over or starting to shift or to slow down. We're not seeing leadership groups at this point completely slow down to the point that red flags are going off left and right. Yeah. Not not at all. We are starting to see a little bit more, not a lot, but we're starting to see a little bit more of late-stage economic cycle type things, so rotations from heavy, heavy, super technological growth kinds of capacity to energy, for example. We're seeing a little bit more of that. But not a ton, not to the point where we'd say, hey, you should probably sell everything technology-related and go buy energy. No, that'd be dumb. Don't do that. <laughs> that would not be prudent, as, as we would say. So, you know, what, what we want to make sure we understand is what is prudent in today's marketplace, number one. What is diversification, and does it really, really help you in terms of the way it's viewed traditionally? Or do you maybe need to look at it just a little bit different? And if you do need to look at it just a little bit differently, well, what is the different thing you need to be looking at? So maybe we should take just a short break, and then I'll come back and I'll jump into that. Yeah, perfect time for a break. If you want to get in contact with Chris, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Or you can set up an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. I can't help dancing sometimes when certain uh, bumper music plays. Can't help it. I also know nobody's watching me dance when I'm in a studio doing it, so that helps. 866-596-9886 is the number to get in contact with Chris to talk about your financial situation. That's 866-596-9886. You could also set up an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. And uh, Capstone Wealth Management, a fee-only financial advisory service. They'll build your portfolio, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. So talking a lot about diversification. Now, does this really help or hurt right now, Chris? Well, well, that's a good question. Um, The way I would answer that is is the following. So, So at our firm, at Capstone Wealth Management, we are a fiduciary, right? Right. Um, we follow something called the prudent man rule. And this whole thing stems from actually an, an 1830 court decision Whoa. of Harvard <laughs> of Harvard College versus Armory, of all things. And basically what that court order did is it instructed the trustees to um, observe how men of prudence. <laughs> and I love the way they wrote back then, you know. Yeah, yeah, very, very eloquent. Um, yeah, they just wanted they wanted prudence, they wanted discretion, they wanted they wanted intelligence that was in, in, in impacting 
the decisions being made. They they did not want speculation. Um, sure. You know they 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 wanted the the probable outcomes of those who were investing monies to be considered prudent and intelligent and you know giving some degree of probable safety of that capital to be invested. So they wouldn't go with today's, Yeah, they wouldn't go well with today's news all the time world. <laughs> no. <laughs> or they would they would have issues with the talking heads on TV a lot. Yeah, probably, yeah. you know, just because that can create so many whipsaws. Um, you know, but that's the best paraphrase that I can probably give to that. Well, that whole prudent man rule that was put in place was essentially the basis of the 1994 Uniform Prudent Investor Act. And it's an act that those of us who are investment advisors have to follow. And and it's a big deal. You know, it's it's one of these things that those of us who are in the business, you follow it, you don't navigate away from it. But it's important to understand what it states. The, the act states specifically, prudent investing ordinarily mm-hmm. requires diversification. Well, that's pretty pretty straight up for most people to read and understand. But if you read it further, it says that there is no automatic rule for identifying how much diversification is enough. Okay. Well, okay, to the average person, I think that's incredibly confusing. Well, there's no automatic rule for identifying how much diversification is enough. Okay, well, <laughs> well then what? Well, then well, what are you depends. basing it on? <laughs> it, it depends, right? One of the most famous or infamous, whichever way you look at it, answers that seems to come out of a nebulous environment like investing, right? Well, that depends. What's it depend on? It depends on your wealth. It depends on your age. It depends on your tax bracket. depends on the kind of risk you're willing to take. How bumpy of a ride can you handle? Someone that can handle a super bumpy ride is clearly more willing to take risk and and be aggressive than someone who says, "I, I need lots of shocks, right? So when I look at the way that the rule is written, I think it's more apt to call it the diversification uncertainty rule. Because for most people, diversification has come to mean simply, I own stocks, I own bonds, I own cash. Well, the last major bear market that we had, which, again, was the financial crisis of 2008, that kind of a diversification rule didn't help you a whole lot. The ownership yeah. of bonds, the ownership of stocks, the combination of those two things simply didn't work. You know, it's so, amazing to me. You're talking about a case from 1830, and it just goes to show you the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, people you people know? thought the same way then and reacted to things the same way. You know, that's a great point. You know, I, and I do. I point out to people fairly regularly that, you know, the things that make markets move today – are really the same kinds of things that yep. made a move 100 years ago. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, it's people wanting to take advantage of or be part of the earnings growth of a good company. It, it, you know, it's just that we've taken our eye off the bubble because of the speed at which all the information flies around us these days from social media to you know, just Internet feeds and all that other stuff. So you know, if we think of this diverse if we think of diversification uncertainty, you know, if, mm-hmm. if we think of it in that, that context, I, I, I think if, if, if I explain two different types of diversification, that it might help just, you know, an ordinary investor with ordinary circumstances to identify, well, what do I do, right? And so one form of a diversification is horizontal, right? So horizontal diversification is like a, um, 
it's like a sector fund that invests in multiple companies, but within a single market, right? Okay. All right. I get it. Vertical diversification is sort of like a um, sort of oh, like a balanced fund. Okay, and that makes it sense. Invests, it invests in multiple markets and or asset classes. So, you know, the balanced funds of today would own both stocks, bonds. Mm-hmm. They'd have exposure to, in many cases, domestic and foreign. They'd have cash, in some cases, currencies. Maybe in some cases, some hard assets. Just depends on the degree of that diversification strain that they want to want to create. One of the things that we attempt to do at Capstone Wealth Management, and I think have done it fairly well, are are use the machines of today to help identify when things are different, right? No one can deny that the speed at which information is traveling through the system today is at breakneck speed. Yep. The, the human cannot keep up with it, right? Nope. And I was having a conversation with someone the other day about, you know, the, the amount of assets that we manage for individuals and the amount of accounts. And, and I said, you know, it's interesting. When I first started in this business, there's no way you could keep up with that same degree of asset management because you had to do so much of it by phone, by fax, by, you know, written stuff. And, I, you know, today, obviously, the implementation of technology has made the process so much more I don't want to say easy because, you know, it's not easy, but, uh, you know, certainly much more um, handleable. It's uh, kind of convoluted, too, though, because there's so much information out there, isn't it? Well, there is, you know, and that's part of the process is to sift through the stuff that doesn't matter, right? I mean, 99% of the stuff that you're going to hear on TV doesn't matter. Right. The The things that matter are the boring things that nobody talks about, the growth of earnings of the markets the yield curve, current interest rate movements and the spreads that are happening both here and throughout the, 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 um, the, the, the globe, right, through, through different countries that are um, not emerging markets, but, you know, developed nations. So, you know, the, at the whole idea of diversification, as it relates to something called modern portfolio theory, is through dilution. In other words, everyone wants to diversify by diluting their portfolio with an asset class that has no momentum, but traditionally has been safe, right? Well, I've got 60% stocks and 40% bonds. Okay, well, bonds aren't doing anything. Mm -hmm. Stocks are going up. Why do you own the bonds? Well, because I'm diversified. Okay, really? Are you really diversified, or are you just putting yourself in a position to dilute your returns? And if you're diluting your returns, are you going to achieve the success more importantly, the goals that you've put in place to achieve? Or are you just going to be diluted for years on end and be eaten away by inflation and, you know, the bear markets that occur from time to time because you sit through them rather Mm -hmm. than rotate out of them, right? So the horizontal vertical diversification example that I gave you is exactly what's going on today. The average person, under ordinary circumstances, simply buys into the belief that I'm going to buy a balanced fund because it owns stocks and bonds, and that's the only place I can go because that's the safest place. We don't subscribe to that belief. We don't subscribe to the belief that the only way to generate returns over the long term is to dilute your portfolio by way of owning assets that have no momentum. Right. It's a functional truth that the best way to identify future returns is to identify current momentum. 
right? Current momentum, in other words, if you think about the things that are moving the best in the market, have a tendency to continually move the best until that movement stops. Some catalyst has to occur for it to stop, and if you're paying attention, you'll be able to see it, identify it, and rotate out of it. Right? You're essentially playing the hot hand all the time. That's exactly what you're attempting to do. You know, if you think about sector rotation, right? So sector rotation occurs as the economy cycles from boom to bust and back to boom again. And it does this. It's, it's, it's a nonstop, you know, kind of a process. It favors different market sectors during different portions of the economic cycle. And if you think of, of each market sector as a piston in an engine, I mean, I think most people can kind of visualize what, a, what an engine looks like and pistons going up and down, but they do it at different rates, right? <clears throat> if you've got, depending upon how many cylinders your vehicle is running on, let's say it's a Ferrari and it's a 12-cylinder and you have, you know, these pistons moving at essentially a different rate. Well, that's sectors in the economy. And, and so if you think of each market sector as a piston in your investment engine, the smoothest, most powerful ride is going to be achieved when each of the major market sectors is represented in your portfolio. Right. Each one of those 12 pistons represents a sector. Technology, basic industries, staples, utilities, finance, services, you know, whatever it might be. But not all of them are going to be moving in terms of momentum at the same time or at the same rate. And right. so if the momentum is coming from technology, and yet all the laggards or all the losses are happening in, say, energy. This isn't the case, but I'm just giving you an example. Well, then why in the world would I want to own a bunch of energy? I don't know. You're crazy, or you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Delusional, psychopathic, I, I don't know what it would be. But at the end of the day, we've people have been so ingrained that the only way to diversify your portfolio is to own a little bit of a bunch of everything, as opposed to being focused and concentrated. Most people believe that if you're concentrated by way of specific sectors that are garnering the best momentum right now, that you're, that you're risky. Well, we can prove through te technology, we have risk, risk um, identification tools, and we can prove through this technology that that's not the case. And historically speaking, by way of returns, we can show that as well. So, you know, the, 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 the sector rotation environment is designed to identify where the momentum sits, how the momentum is playing out, and whether or not the market as a whole is safe to engage in mm -hmm. one or more of those sectors that are the leaders, yeah. right? Stay away from the laggers, be in the leaders. And people say, well, how do you do that? It's technology. It's being able to identify with varying degrees of computing systems and algorithms where the momentum is coming from, whether or not that momentum is sustainable, and how far that momentum might actually occur. And then when it changes, the system's able to identify it, depict it, and warn you to say, time to make a shift. Right. right? So the old thought pattern of diversification through dilution is one that we're attempting to adjust. Uh, old ways of thinking are tough to break, though, man. They are. Especially believe the older me. you get. Believe me, I, as I said, you know, having done this for you know, close to 25 years and grown up in the world of modern portfolio theory and having been uh, you know, gone to the, the very expensive school of Wall Street where the tuition is very expensive if you make mistakes, 
you know, it's uh, it, it's it's one of these things that um, you know that that takes some time to grab onto. Um, but at the end of the day, only by owning the trend leader and avoiding the laggards mm-hmm. can you simultaneously improve your returns and reduce risk. That's true sector rotation, Mike. People talk about sector rotation, but they're not engaging in it in a way like I just explained. <laughs> so, yep. so we got to throw off the old a little bit, but we can't throw off the old until we know what the old was. And that's why I wanted to spend a little bit of time helping explain how that old has has come to be and why it is so um, inherently ingrained. Here's another example, and I find this all the time. So we'll have lots of people that will ask us, hey, can you take a look at my 401k? And I say, yeah, sure. And so I look at the 401k, and it's got, you know, 20 different funds you can choose from. Right. You know, five large cap, six mid cap, four small cap, five diverse uh, uh, international emerging markets, and three bonds, or mm-hmm. something like that, right? And inherently what I'll find is someone will have 10 or 15 different funds in there. And as I go through and I look at the 10 or different, uh, 15 different funds, the first thing I, I try to do is, again, use some technology to identify how are these funds rated. Are they rated strongly enough as it relates to their historical performance in difficult markets? And did those performance numbers come about under the same management team? Right. That's a thing to, thing to pull out and you know, identify whether or not it's happening. But then what I do is I look at the top 10, 20, sometimes 30 holdings of the fund. And I can tell you this. If someone shows me five different large-cap funds that they're in, almost invariably, those five funds are going to have anywhere between 40 to 70% of their top 10 holdings exactly the same as the other funds. Right. Are you really giving yourself diversification by owning those funds that are all doing the same thing Whereas one of them's doing it better than the other four. Right. Just own the one. Don't own the five. <laughs> Go with the one that's winning the race. Well, then, this is kind of confusing stuff, and you hear so much information. That's why they need somebody like you to steer the path for them. Well, and, you know, once you actually, um, we have a, a, a computer programming system that we use, and then it builds the portfolio based on where the momentum leader is. And then it applies one of our, our protective um, uh, uh, algorithms to it. So, in other words, it alerts you when all of a sudden, hey, something's not safe. Change. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but what it does is it builds this little chart, and it lets you see exactly how the current momentum of your entire selection process is doing and whether or not you're in the right fund. Yeah. And, you know, I've done this, you know, for a number of clients that we, we help with uh, those who are still working and they're you know, working and having to deal with 401ks on a different platform because, you know, as a private investment management team, we, we manage the funds that we're able to manage on our platform for folks. And so we don't want to leave people hanging mm-hmm. with what might be one of the largest asset classes that they're dealing with heading into retirement. So I ask them, you just go ahead and send me all your offerings. Let me plug them into a program. Let me analyze them. Let me research them. And let me give you what would be, we believe to be the best optimal way in which to hold these funds. All right. So we do that. All right. I tell you what, we got to take a quick break to pay some final bills, and Chris will be back. Mike Pilch with you, 866-596-9886. To get in touch with Chris Klein and Capstone Wealth Management, also info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. Chris Klein, some parting thoughts for us today. Oh, parting thoughts. Well, um, 
the market is a strange place, always has been, but yet it functions and operates essentially the same way today as it did 100 years ago. We mm-hmm. just get this we just get this nonstop data feed that becomes confusing, you know, the speed at which information flies through, and the availability of information. You know, I mean, let's face it, most yeah. people didn't have access to the same degree of information, you know, 10, 20 years ago that yeah. we have available. It's easier to get right? confused and mixed up, sure. It really, really is, you know, and so one of the benefits, of course, of working with a process, and that's what I really want to make sure I'm, I'm helping people understand, is you have to have a process, right? And so we attempt to use a true sector rotation process, and rotation simply implies that something will be back time and time again, mm-hmm. you know, whereas, you know, um, I'll probably have to explain this next time we get together because we're completely running out of out of time here. But I'm going to explain next week something called rotation versus fitting, right? Yeah. For an investor who is attempting to diversify themselves in the traditional way of modern portfolio theory, but find themselves just submitting to diversification through dilution and end up causing themselves all sorts of grief and stress every time a bear market hits, Right. Is a bear market here or coming soon? Probably not. You know, the economic data that we continue to get is apparently very strong. We continue to be excited about the numbers that we see. We just have to be very vigilant that a, a catalyst of one type or another could cause markets to shift. And we just have to be prepared for that. And the only way to be prepared for it is to pay attention. And so that's what we do. We'll pay attention so you don't have to. Yeah, okay. and a lot of that can come in your newsletters, too. It can. We attempt to write about that as much as we can, as much as we see things that might be shifting and, and alert you to the, uh, the the process of what that uh, what that might look like. How do people get in touch with you? 866-596-9886 or uh, email is very easy. Info at careformywealth.com. It's a great time to get things in order as the year comes to a close here over the, the, the final quarter. So um, just, uh, just know that the market's currently safe. And uh, if it changes, we'll try to alert you. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. This is Buddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.